Dice Company contains fantasy violence, mature themes, and unapologetic bickering. No feelings were hurt in the making of it, but listener discretion is advised. Dice Company will always be free, but it's not free to make. Please consider supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcasts and get access to our weekly roundtable show Extra Roll. Just follow any of the links in the show notes for this chapter. Welcome, one and all, to Dice Company. We're a group of old friends weave tales of misery, sadness, and despair under the guise of playing Dungeons and Dragons. A very happy Halloween to you all. My name is Tom, and I'll be your DM through the continuing adventures of this monologuing, masticating, miserable, and myopic adventuring party. Monologuing, masticating, miserable, and myopic adventuring party. Please introduce yourselves. And give the audience one fun fact about your characters. Bonus points if it's spooky. Hello, I am Dave and I am playing Benny Quez. Uh, my fact this week about Benny is that Benny has no truck with the supernatural. Much like he has very little truck with religion and the gods. He figures he's not really important enough for them to bother with. He's not interested in, in finding them. So he will leave the supernatural alone if the supernatural will leave him alone. And everybody will be content. Excellent. Good fact. And I'm sure that the supernatural will 100% leave him alone. A ghost dives in through Benny's ear and eats his brain. (laughs) Hi, I'm Al and I'm playing Augustus Zeno. And my fact expands on a fact that I gave you before, which is that Augustus has a recurring dream about walking through the mist-filled forests of Roanoke. The detail I didn't tell you about the first time is that occasionally as he walks, the mist ahead appears for a fleeting moment to form the shape of a young woman walking away from him. Nice. Very Halloween. Kind of spooky and creepy. All right. I like it a lot. You guys are doing pretty well so far. Hi, I'm Harry. I'm playing Toc. My interesting fact is uh, automatons do not need to eat or breathe. They rely on their etheric reduction engines to generate energy from the local fluctuations in the weaves of magic. One of his travels with Tick involved crossing under the Roller God Sea by walking along the sea floor. He noted that life was abundant in the littoral and sublittoral regions, whilst the abyssal plain was akin to desert. <laughs> well, it certainly wasn't spooky, but it was very good. Every time Tok speaks, I feel like I learn an entire book's worth of information. I've got to make the facts in character. <laughs> and the character's a weird one. You said sublittoral? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So, like, un- under the water, near beneath, the... Yeah. Beneath the lavatory. All right. I'm stupid, clearly. It's the song that Sebastian <laughs> sings in A Little Mermaid. You think Little Mermaid introduced the word sublatoral? <laughs> well, it's, it's read between the lines in the song Under the Sea. I, I, yeah, of course. That's silly of me. Uh, hi, I'm Charlie. I play Vander Finnick, and I'm just going to straight up improve on Tox Fact. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to re-raise it straight away. You're going to do the unthinkable, are you? <laughs> no, actually, I'm not going to do the unthinkable. Ooh. But I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. So Vander, as he does, has observed Tox at great length and indeed even Tox creator, Tick. He has observed in the few moments he's been able to look at uh, the bag that Tick has clearly sustained significant damage. And judging by Tox's previously botched attempt at saving Sterling, Vander very much doubts that Tick can indeed even be repaired by Tock. This suggests to Vander a deeper question 
Toc is indeed a stable character, but what kind of psychotic circumstances might unfold if and when he realizes he can't bring Tick back? Got inspired. Go. Bit of the shining in there. That was wonderful. I, I call that Toc Plus. Toc desperately trying to show no emotion. All of a sudden, he's a powder keg, potentially. If Vanda is to be believed, which he isn't, so we'll move on. No. <laughs> <laughs> I gave him my best. <laughs> it's time to begin chapter 13 of Dice Company. human existence, few emotions are as potent, as profound, and as universal as fear. This is the shadow that lingers at the edges of our lives, a primordial force that has evolved and adapted alongside us. It informs us, teaches us, focuses our minds on survival. Fear in its myriad forms has sculpted our very essence shaping us into the beings we are today. So what are we to think of fear? What are we to make of it? Should we embrace it? Rebel against it? Push it down? Be consumed by it? There may be no more important to question in our collected history. All stories of fear begin the same way. A day like any other where the mundane slowly, terrifyingly, gives way to the extraordinary. In the last thrilling installment, you lot fought your way into and then out of the Tomb of the Wanderer, claiming a number of items on the way. You survived the escape just, although both Benny and Vanda were exhausted by the escapade. Having trudged through the torrential weather back to the Sterling, you all sit down to some much-needed rest and the home comforts of Rosalind's stew. What would you like to do? I would like to go to bed. Benny is exhausted and unhappy and slightly embarrassed about the way he managed to get so horrifically injured. Just wants to creep off to bed. Does he want to just run her through it one more time? Did you throw a grappling hook into a sort of spinning whirly gig and you were pulled into it? Yeah, that's the one. We can't all be Vanda. <laughs> Benny departs, leaving the rest of you around the dinner table. Toc will start inspecting the artifacts that we recovered. Ah. I believe there was some splint mail that he will give her once over and then pass over to Augustus and say, um, Augustus, this armour is sized for you. Thanks very much, Toc. Very much appreciated. Other things he's got, there's a blue glass sphere and a bottle of smoke and some tithe documents. Just as an aside, is, are we thinking that that was the Tomb of the Wanderer? Or was it some sort of elaborate... Like, I, I'm not quite sure what to make of the Elias turning into a kind of old lady at the last second. Do we? Is there anything we... I don't know. I guess we can't check that. Or I don't know anything that anyone knows from their history or sort of lore or anything that would tell us 
I mean, obviously, it was quite an elaborate thing. It was, you know, a huge place with lots of traps and things. So it didn't feel like a just like an easy knockoff that someone could have thrown together. But I'm left really unsure about who the, that person was and therefore what this stuff is. Okay, give me a history or insight check, all three of you. Tok roll was very distracted by the magical weapons. He rolled a seven for history. Augustus rolled eleven for history. Fourteen. Vanda, you're you're pretty sure that wasn't the tomb of the wanderer. Everything that you know of the legend of Elias, even though it was intricate, that seemed more like a trap to you set out by some evil creature, especially after the showdown you had at the end of it. Elias the Wanderer, less of a dick. Well, I mean, maybe. We've got to be agnostic about it. Yeah, he could he could be more of a dick. Exactly. We, we just didn't really meet him. <laughs> Vanda obviously is completely or very exhausted at this point. He is hunched over some soup, as you might imagine and trying to warm himself by the brazier in the galley of the ship, and simply turns, It strikes me, gentlemen, that that wasn't the tomb of the Wanderer. Indeed, it would appear statistically unlikely from the number of tombs. Vanda continues to stare at his soup, clearly not entirely prepared to carry on the conversation, more just airing a thought, before lapsing into a state of semi-consciousness. Tok will uh, deposit the uh, tithe document in front of uh, Vanda, sort of just gently lie on the on the table next to him. But Vanda's our spreadsheet warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> this receives the very definition of no response. <laughs> I see the Himmel Benny who will actually be interested in those, I think. Very, very, very slowly, a gnarled hand reaches out for the first of the documents. It's snapped into the gaze of the masked figure who in the silhouette of the crackling brazier begins to read still in a state of apparent semi-consciousness the tithe document you have in your hand belongs to bardal schultz it shows that he has paid a substantial amount off of his tithe but not all of it is there any more to the document should i take another one for example or is that the sum total that's the sum total it was only a singular tithe document i'm not sure why tox produced so many I don't know if he's maybe just been copying it. It's been copied out a hundred times. <laughs> he's wasted so much parchment. So the most of the tithe has been paid off, but there is a fraction still to go. So two two things then to try and figure out from that is, A, is paying off your tithe a sort of thing that you'd only do if you liked or wanted to ingratiate yourself with the empire? Uh, and B, is the, his tithe document being in there, does that suggest he's dead and he's gone in there and not gone come out? Because if it is a thing of value to him and we think he went into the mountains, does the its presence but not his presence mean we think he's down in the tomb somewhere it would appear that he left since there was no corpse readily available it may have been eaten by one of the denizens well i was yeah thinking the big snake or whatever however this does affect the wager well one of the one of the members of the wager isn't here they've got to bed quite happy with that the tithe document is placed back on the table tok will carry on investigating the blue glass sphere and the bottle of smoke Having spent most of the dinner while the others are eating, studying these items, the pale blue sphere is a drift globe. You can you can throw it out in front of you and it will hover and create light and follow your instructions on where to go. Oh, very cool. Tok will have a go demonstrating by getting it to fly around the uh, fly around the mess, the room we're in. Without turning, Vanda says, How fascinating. Does it have a dimmer setting? Indeed. Better. And smoke starts to rise from the Vanda direction of the room. Investigate the bottle of smoke as well. 
Yeah, so the glass bottle filled with constantly moving smoke is a bottle of shadows. It's one use only, and when you uncork the stopper, you can create a 60-foot radius of heavily obscured terrain, giving everyone within it plus 10 to stealth. I think Benny will probably appreciate that more than uh, more than most. In fact, yeah, uh, Tok will explain this to uh, to Augustus, being as of the table and not asleep. And then go and he'll go and take the bottle of sh- the bottle of shadows over to Benny's room and knock on the door. Benny, there is a knock at the door. Yeah, who is it? Come in if you want. Tock will open the door and he'll hold up the bottle. He'll say, uh, "This bottle is a bottle of shadows. I believe you would find this useful." And he'll set it down on whatever table or whatever's on in the room, and then pet the pet Lenny the dog. <laughs> yeah, strength check on that. <laughs> He just massively <laughs> whack, splat. <laughs> Good boy. Uh, uh, um, all right, thank, thanks, thanks, Talk. I think. Um, Benny, yeah. you appear confused. Well, I was asleep. Not, I wasn't quite expecting someone to come in and give me a, a bottle of shadows, whatever, whatever that is. Can't help but feel it. Probably could have waited till the morning, but you know, um, thank you anyway. I suppose. Tok will, uh, is he going to apologise or not? No, Tok will just uh, turn around and leave, close the door. <laughs> <laughs> All right, night, Tok. I think our, our audience, that believe, as I understand it, the audience thinks Tok is a sweetheart, so I can, I can feel listeners just turning against Benny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, the whole thing is like, Tok, Tok doesn't sleep, so he has very little context for like why this would be a problem. He basically just like sits and stares at the stars, <laughs> waiting. Uh, yeah, re- return to the uh yeah you return uh, and sit down is there anything else you guys would like to do i ask um uh, augustus whether you'd like the drift globe okay and you can presumably you can like just switch it on or put it in your bag and it's off you you know you can just you turn it on and off great yeah size of a tennis ball amazing yeah that'd be good because i was underpowered on light in the last thing and it made it quite difficult so yeah, I'm, I'm all for that yeah talk will run him through the uh the controls uh vanda you are watching Talk explaining in great detail the control elements of a tennis ball-sized blue sphere. Vanda looks very wearied by this and summons Otis. Otis? Yes, Vanda? Would you mind doing the honours? Otis is going to scuttle off and come back for his classic remedy for what Vanda has when he's uh, had a weary evening. He's going to pass Vanda a small dram of whiskey and produce a violin and play a short lament for Vanda to snooze to. <laughs> I love the fact that the, the, I really thought the violin was going to be for Vanda to play. I was going to say, yes, yeah, so he's going to smoke a pipe and uh, play his violin, but no. I thought we were moving into Sherlock Holmes cosplay to replace <laughs> the Indiana Jones cosplay. I'm not above it, to be fair. I'm just not creative <laughs> enough to have gone there. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, Vanda strikes me as more Captain Nemo with the organ sort of thing at the side of the ship, <laughs> dramatically. We could go organ. I just didn't think there was much organ music around. Yes, Vanda. Thank you, Otis. Uh, and he scuttles off. Vanda sighs. Ah. Tok is still explaining the sphere to Augustus when he returns. Here, Vanda. And he hands you a dram of whiskey and then pulls out a violin and begins to play a soothing, calm melody. Vanda snuggles down into his chair and appears to fall into a deep sleep. 
Uh, before he does, Top will <laughs> ask him a question. <laughs> As it looks like he's uh, drifting off. Vanda, I have a request. I plan to revive Tick. I would appreciate the use of one of your automatons as an assistant in the process. A long silence. I believe Plex has the necessary skills. I thought you were going to say necessary parts there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you require of our Plex? Assistance. Nothing beyond the use of his skills. No part of Plex. I do not require any parts of Plex. He is not expendable. Well, then I see no reason why not. Though I would advise you, Tok, not to be hasty. Be sure that you can do the repairs before you attempt them. I find this to be acceptable. You just come into Tok's workshop and he's just repeatedly headbutting the workbench. <laughs> <laughs> Tok, would you find extended periods of silence to be acceptable? Indeed. Excellent. Do you require losing consciousness? Otis, please drown him out. <laughs> and <laughs> Knock him out, right. Tok. <laughs> Tok will go back to the table, collect the stuff, and head back, well, find Plex and head to his workshop. Augustus, you're effectively alone while, while one of the automatons plays a beautiful lament on the violin. But you're never really alone while we're around. <laughs> I don't I know it. <laughs> I think Augustus would rather enjoy that. He doesn't want to intrude on Vander's quiet moment, but I think he'll find a place, a, a kind of inobtrusive place, where he can listen to that music and settle down himself. I don't think he'll go to sleep. I think he'll just want to consider everything that's happened in the last, I don't know how many hours we were in that terrifying dungeon, but, you know, that period of time. So with the soothing lament playing, Vander seemingly asleep, although you never can tell with him, and Augustus quietly sipping on a drink, the evening draws to a close. Chapter One Consider one who is haunted by the spectres of his past, the memories of deeds done or not done. He is trapped in the haunted chambers of his own mind, where the echoes of future inability reverberate through the corridors of his soul. Fear for him is the relentless ghost of tomorrow, haunting the present and darkening the path ahead. Augustus goes down to Benny's door and knocks quietly, which is one of those weird, polite things you do. Like, if you're trying to wake the sole occupant of the room, there's really no point knocking quietly, but that's what he's going to do anyway, because it seems like the polite thing to do. And Benny, obviously, quiet knocking like that somehow ends up being the loudest, and you wake with a start. What is it, what is it now, Tok? Have we not been through this? Uh, Benny, sorry to disturb, it's Augustus. What do you want, Augustus? Uh, I have a book I wanted to give you. Oh, I can see why that wouldn't wait. Yeah, come on in. Benny, I thought you might be struggling to sleep after the your difficulties of the evening, and so nope. I just brought you... <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, I've brought you a book, and the book, which is supposed to soothe you in your state, is called Ghost Stories of Antiquary. I hand it over to Benny. 
Thank you, Augustus. I suppose that's a nice gesture. Well, good night. Okay, I give an uncomfortably long, suspicious look at Lenny before withdrawing from the room. Night, Augustus. Sleep well, enjoy your ghost stories. Having dropped off the book for Benny to read, Augustus, you go across the hall to your own room. Uh, Laying down on your bed, you consider the day's adventures. Your mind is ablaze with questions and thoughts about the tomb, the screaming old woman, and your fellow adventurers. As you lay there, you begin to hear a scratching at the door. Uh, Benny, you can keep the book. The scratching continues. Lenny, you can keep the book. Talk, and then... Augustus, feeling slightly unsettled because of all the zombies and stuff of today, gets up and smartly opens the door, trying to seem not scared when he does feel a bit scared. You open the door and look dead ahead and you see nothing until you look down. Lenny is sat with his head tilted to one side and his tongue hanging out. Go away. He gives a yelp of acknowledgement. I knock on Benny's door, not quietly this time. Benny... Your dog's out here. As you bang on Benny's door, it opens. Benny's room is empty. Ah. Augustus tries to cross back over the corridor and into his own room and shut the door with Lenny on the outside. You do so, and you can hear the sound of Lenny running up the hallway, away from your room. Satisfied with that, Augustus lies down. It never thinks about it again. There is a loud crack of thunder and a bolt of lightning which illuminates the entire room. From outside the porthole window of your room, uh, you can hear Lenny barking furiously outside. Mm. And it's slightly curious to you that he's made it out there so quickly because this happened almost immediately after you heard him scampering down the corridor. And around us, we're sort of in shallow water near the shore of the lake, right? Yes. Okay. Augustus is still going to try and wait this out. Basically, if Lenny was to be eaten by a bear or whatever, that seems fine. Fine if Benny gets eaten too, to be honest. There is another crack of thunder and bolt of lightning. And then you hear a human voice coming from outside. Augustus, help me. I don't want to ask this question, but do I recognise the voice? You do. Oh no. It is the voice of Aurora. Augustus freezes for a moment, not really able to believe what he's hearing, and then moves slowly to the door and reaches his hand out for the handle. You open the door and you hear the repetition. Augustus, help me. Coming from down the corridor. Does it sound any closer or further than it did before, or kind of the same? Sounds a little further, like it's moving away from you. Augustus will move a little quicker, obviously in the direction of the voice. As you follow the voice, which keeps repeating it over and over again, you find yourself at the disembarking point of the Stirling. In the pouring rain in the lake, you can see Lenny barking frantically, and in the water, thrashing about, is a human. Okay, Augustus gets out his new light source, uh, which he knows how to use because he had an extra long tutorial from Tok, and goes down to join Lenny near the human. As you make your way off of the Sterling towards the figure in the lake, you feel warmth rising through you despite the chilly night air. Comforting, welcoming, crackling, burning, scolding, 
pain is shooting all over your body. You look down and flames are igniting your leg, licking up your abdomen. Ah, what the fuck is going on? Can I like run out of the flames? And is there a defined area? Does it look like I'm just standing in a normal fire or like the world's You're not standing in, in a fire at all. The fire is exclusively on your trousers. I guess he's going to try and quickly wrestle his trousers off. Slightly up the arms about where this is going. He's already been kicked in the nuts by a zombie literally today. As you begin to take off your trousers uh, in a mild panic about the flames that are attempting to engulf you, you hear a loud buzzing sound filling the air around you. And as you turn around, you see a giant furry insect flying towards you. A huge bumblebee with its stinger poised ready to strike. Obviously, Augustus's stinger is the rapier. Out it comes. I'll keep the light source in the other hand. I just paused for a second there. You, you had real trouble with the fire and, oh, what's this and how does it work? A fucking massive bumblebee appears out of nowhere and you're like, well, I'll get my stabber out. Like, how, how did you take the second of those events in your stride? I've just realised what this was. I said in a previous episode that the nastiest thing someone could do to you is set your underpants on fire. <laughs> and the DM just did that to me. And I also said there's nothing scarier than a giant bumblebee. So my throwaway comments are being turned against me. I think we're about to see Top drowned in reindeer whiz, to be honest. But having removed my flaming undercrackers, I turn my turn the rapier on the bumblebee and basically shut my eyes and point it at it because Augustus is very close to wetting himself at this point. Can I have a dexterity saving throw at disadvantage, please? I'm going to say maybe the uh, isn't freaking him out too much because the uh, the bumblebee is clearly challenging him to a duel, and as a nobleman, he takes this in his stride. Dexterity, as we know, is not part of. Augustus's stride, and so he rolls a four. So he's covered in honey, which is almost impossible to get out of clothes, and it ruins <laughs> his suit from Batistutas. And... Uh, the sound is almost deafening as the stinger plunges into your chest. The air in your lungs catches as you taste metal in your mouth. Lenny is barking and jumping around as the insect's spiky legs wrap themselves around you. Please take 32 damage, piercing damage. Augustus is down and out and scared and alone. As your vision swims and your eyes begin to shut, you see the woman from the lake, safe and stood in a soaking wet nightgown beside you. I knew you couldn't do it. You're such a failure. How predictable. Pathetic. You blink and then darkness. Chapter 2 The spectre of loss can cast the darkest shadow. The fear of losing that which is most dear, coupled with the guilt that gnaws at the soul. This fear is a relentless phantom, a constant reminder of the fragility of life's tapestry and the inevitability of its unravelling. It is the most quiet, easily ignored and insidious. Tuck, you're in your workshop in the bowels of the Sterling, with Plex assisting you. You are working on Tick. Currently getting Plex to prepare the workshop for, for the work, rather than actually starting on it yet. As you're looking down at your workbench, Plex says, Tuck, the crew of the Sterling 
are on the shore. And he's looking out of the porthole window. Please confirm. They have left the Sterling. They have left. They are accompanied with an automaton of unknown designation. Do you have means to contact Vander? I could speak to him. I shall go remain here. Doc will get up and um, go to the porthole and look through. So you look down and you can see Vander, Augustus and Benny. And they're out by the lake. Uh, they stood in the pouring rain and they appear to be talking to an automaton who you don't recognise. I think this probably merits some investigation. Um, Tokil will uh, leave the workshop and go out onto the deck of the ship. It's driving rain still, so I'm assuming I can't hear what they're talking about. Not from this distance. Tok will light his lantern and try and use it to signal them, you know, like it's no Morse code, but, you know, flashing it by moving his hand in front of it. Uh, any any response from them? No response. Looking at them, studying them, you don't know a lot about human interaction, but they appear to be laughing. It's not a dangerous situation, as far as you can tell. Tok to- will go and uh, uh, see what's up. He'll head over to them. So, um, uh, lantern back in the bag, and he'll um, jump over, jump off the side of the ship and walk along the lake bottom up towards where they are. It's his version of swimming. Having leapt off the side of the Sterling, into the water, and out, you approach. Um, they are indeed all laughing as Vander turns to you. Hello, Tok. We've met another automaton. He's very strong and smart. And the best part is, he's sentient, just like you. Indeed, Tuckle turns the automaton. Greetings. My designation is Tok. What is your designation? My name is Tick. Uh, Tok will go quiet for just a second. Does the other automaton look like Tick? Obviously, Tok would know who it is. The design of the automaton is unusual to you. It looks potentially older than you are. Um, it's It's got beaten and battered plates similar to your own. Obviously, most automatons broadly look similar, but this one's face design uh, actually has a mouth design on it, which gives it a half smile. So, Tok, we were thinking we might bring him aboard. What do you think? Another automaton would be an additional asset to the ship. I would agree. Aye, I told you he'd agree. He's one of us now. Weary, what was the circumstances of meeting this other tick? Oh, he just uh, appeared out of the forest. It was quite the shock, but he's, he's quite a dashing chap, isn't he? I have not observed him running. Now, Tuck, you know the rules. We can't have two sentient automatons on board. We'd be even more wanted by the Empire than we are now. So I'm afraid we're going to have to leave you behind. You understand, of course. Panda, I do not comprehend. These rules appear arbitrary. Well, you understand the danger of the Empire, don't you, Doc? Indeed, the danger is great. And we've covered for you for many weeks already, haven't we? You've been safe? Agreed, you have covered for me for many weeks. Disagree. We have not been safe. There have been many occasions of peril, danger. And we've kept you safe in all that time, haven't we? All that peril, all that danger. Now imagine if we doubled the amount because we were stupid enough to bring two sentient automatons. You shouldn't take this personally. Of course, he's just far superior to you in every way. The additional capabilities would make the crew safer, would they not? Oh, come now, Tok. Let's not make a scene. Yeah, come on, Tok. Let's not make a scene. I am unable of to construct a scene. I lack the requisite tools. Very good, Tok. Very on point for your normal behaviour, of course. <laughs> but 
I don't think leaving him behind is the best option, to be honest. I think he should probably deactivate himself. It's all getting a bit uncouth, isn't it? Negative. I would prefer not deactivation. Oh, of course, I understand, Tog. Deactivation feels so final. I do have a question for you, though. Why haven't you fixed Tick yet? The procedure is difficult, complicated. It requires understanding parts and time. You've had time. You've had the parts. You've had the freedom in your workshop. Why haven't you fixed him? I fear a lack of success. Ah, why do you fear that? You work on logic, don't you? Surely you will either succeed or not succeed. Indeed, the risk profile is too unknown to me. All of a sudden, your senses explode. Your joints stiffen and freeze. You're unable to move. The other automaton reaches out and casually snaps Augustus's neck. Alarm, alarm, alarm. He then steps over to Benny, who looks at you pleadingly as he punches a hole straight through your roguish friend. Alarm, alarm. Vanda stood stock still, is lifted into the air by the rampaging automaton and brought down over his knee with a crunch. This could have been avoided, all of it, if you just admit the truth. Query, which truth needs to be admitted? The truth of why you have not fixed Tick. The truth is, I fear the risk of failure. Incorrect. I require more data. You have sufficient data. And the automaton draws Tick's sword from his own bag of holding. Before you, the broken bodies of your shipmates lay bloodied and unmoving. We didn't have to do that, did we? The automaton swings Tick's sword towards you. Even with your joints beginning to free, you're unable to move quickly enough. You feel the pain as the blade hits the side of your neck at high speed. Your vision spins around and around as the ground circles into view. And then, darkness. Chapter 3 Yet in the shadow of these fears, there exists a peculiar paradox. The man who fears nothing. His fearlessness, though seemingly invincible, conceals a vulnerability of its own. For in a world where fear shapes so much of our existence, fearlessness becomes its own anchor. The weakness of solitude and the false confidence of one who considers himself free of fear. Banda. Terrifying. Hello. <laughs> the last day has been an exhausting one. You've overexerted yourself pretending to be an adventurer, Idaho James. I regret nothing. <laughs> the familiar and gentle rocking of the Sterling is soothing. You have been brought a dram of whiskey and been played to sleep, the haunting lament of a violin. Your eyes have become heavy as you drift into a peaceful slumber, and you are awoken to a young man's voice. So, this is Vander Finnick. I have to say, I'm not at all impressed. Wearily, I turn my head, and my one good eye fixes, presumably, on the new arrival. The voice is coming from a young, handsome man. 
He's dressed in stylish, fashionable clothing reinforced with leather armor. He's brandishing an immaculate silver sword, which gleams by the candlelight. I see you're armed. I'm always armed. What kind of fool doesn't arm himself? Agreed. I'm interested as to why you're here, though. He slowly but sure-footedly moves around the room, using the sword to poke and prod at different things. Vander barely moves as far as that goes, just follows him with his one good eye, but still reclined in the chair. I am here to get a good look at Vander Finnick. And what have I found? Books, maps, and an early night for the old man. How utterly pathetic you've become. I'm an old bag of bones, it's true. If you were expecting something more, friend, I think you've rather been missold, the great Van der Finnick. Clearly. It seems that you've got an addled mind, a broken body. One eye, is that? Just the one eye, I'm afraid. Not so good. The mind, though, I would argue is as sharp as it ever was. Is it, though? How perceptive are you these days? I feel like a younger Van der Finnick wouldn't have allowed his guard to drop, allow someone like me to enter. That's a very nice sword you have. The finest quality. Classic misdirection. I see through it, of course. Well, aren't you a smart cookie? Van der Simpers, a bit of saliva dribbling down the Moorish open part of his mouth. The young man is now stabbing his sword into a pot of stew on the table. That's good stew, you know. I wouldn't waste it. Don't you remember me, Vander? There is something familiar about you, yes. I'm pleased that my deeds have not been so thoroughly erased from your adult mind. Deeds, is it? Great deed. You know what they call me, of course. Remind me. I am the blade itself. He bows deeply. Interest sparks in the one eye of Vander. The blade itself. Let me take a proper look at you. He turns painfully in his chair. Oh yes, aren't you just? I've been looking for my next success. I always search for success in whatever form it takes. I like to move onwards and upwards. And you... Well, you have become a problem for me. I know you to be both extraordinarily powerful and at the same time, it'd be highly improbable for you to be speaking to me right now. And yet, here I am. And yet, here you are. How fascinating. Banded still, despite the curiousness of the situation, doesn't appear to be afraid, more interested. Give it the old Van der Finnick try, eh? Masking fear? Or is there no actual fear in that eye of yours? Burned out of me, I'm afraid. Which does bring me to the question I have for you. What brought you here tonight? Well, that is a very good question. And I think someone of your incredible intelligence intellect and wisdom would know the answer it's probably there in the back of your mind gnawing away at you if my guess is right that was really quite sycophantic of you 
I aim to please. And he plunges his sword into your stomach. How's that? And am I allowed to just speak about this now to see where we are? If I'm right about this, I'm looking at a younger version of Vanda. And if I'm right about that, then I'm in a dream world or something like it. And if I'm right about that, this might be where Vanda's at his strongest. I think that something is happening that Vanda's younger self is manifesting. And I don't think I've really been stabbed. Can I get some kind of check to see if Vanda's capable of breaking this illusion or at least perceiving it? Mm, give me a wisdom saving throw. And I feel bad that I let the giant bumblebee squash me. <laughs> Eleven. You don't register the amount of pain that you would expect to feel from a stab wound to the stomach. You know that a stab wound to the stomach is one of the slowest, most painful ways to kill someone. And with your history, you suspect that this that you might be right and that this is not reality. Mistake. You've invaded the mind of a sociopath. Whose rules do you think we're playing by? Vanda now seems, though poorly, to want to grip the sword. He's going to try to do that and pull his younger self towards him. Give me a dexterity check at advantage. A psychopath check. Okay, now we're cooking. 16. With surprising strength, you're able to wrestle the sword off of the young man. He looks a little taken aback. This is not how this is supposed to go. It's the classic mistake of youth to think that you could simply stand up to your elders and kill them with a sword. How stupid. As Vander tries now to pull the sword from himself. Uh, you do indeed pull the sword quite slowly out of your own stomach and it is now clasped in your hand. The young man draws two daggers from his back. Don't do anything silly, old man. In life, you were the fastest blade, but you are dead, and there is no one more willing or able to testify to that fact than me. In this space, whatever it is, I must be as fast as you. Massive assumption on my part. Vander's going to take a fighter's grip of the sword. This would be fascinating to Vander because potentially, presumably, his ability with the sword may be possible here. Give me a strength check at advantage. I'm going to try to sweep the sword. I want to test my ability. Okay. <laughs> and it's not good. It's not good. It's one. <laughs> at advantage, wow. double. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's double snake eyes. Wowza. Uh, so, uh, brimming with confidence, you holding the sword, you stand up and sweep it. It's quite heavy, the sword, for someone of your physical abilities. And even if you're right of where you are, the sword kind of clatters to the floor as the young man laughs mirthlessly. <laughs> Pathetic, as I expected. Ah. Not every winkle worked out in this place just yet, then. No matter. I'm still going to kill you. And Vander now reaches for his cane, his lovely glass cane. Uh, and the young man moves towards you with both daggers drawn. I'm going to cast Cause Fear. Can you give me a wisdom saving throw at disadvantage, please? <laughs> 
Interesting. I like how that worked. Okay. A nine. Please describe how cause fear works. Oh, you've now terrified the boy. Vander, in picking up his cane and dropping the sword, whips out his hand and makes a gesture in the air. The effect is immediate on the boy. The confidence disappears in a second and replacing it is a kind of indescribable horror. It's difficult to imagine this as few will have seen this etched on someone's face, but it is a rictus of fear that causes the boy to take a step back immediately. He does so and drops both daggers while doing so. No, that's... No, this is not. Yes, yes! Vander advances on his younger self. You are riddled, infested with weakness. You imagine that your strong body will protect you. I am the living proof that it will not. You fool, you pathetic, whining, prideful fool. And with that, Vander redoubles the efforts of his spell, trying to essentially dispel this figure from whatever landscape we're in with the literal embodiment of fear. The young man falls down onto one knee, cowering before the imperious-looking Vander. No, you... This is... You can't kill me. You've tried to kill me before. I'm not going... No, no! Vander's going to try and strike him in the face with his uh, glass cane. You draw back the glass staff and strike the young man across the face. And blood splatters on the floor. Yeah, you may think that you can kill me and torture me, but while she lives, I live. I didn't kill you. We were killed. And I strike with more intensity. Again, not happy with what he said at all. The strike hits and the boy is now on the floor, on his back, with his hands up. She is not your concern anymore, and I'm going to hit him again. You strike him again, another splatter of blood. She is always my concern. Always. Enough! And then I start madly striking with as much effort as my frail frame can manage. And as the red mist descends upon Vander, he somehow loses track of himself. Chapter 4 What of the man who trembles at the thought of being imprisoned once again? Of the walls closing in around him? His fear is the stifling confinement, the relentless tightening of invisible chains, the ominous anticipation of the door slamming shut. In the recesses of his psyche, he is forever trapped in a dungeon of his own making. Benny. Hello. You have a nice evening. <laughs> Warm cup of tea. Things are going great. <laughs> you stroke Lenny and listen to the violin music from above. Bricks keep waking me up. It's not going that well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was your nightmare, was it? Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got pummeled into the dirt by a giant bumblebee while my underpants were on fire. <laughs> um, Benny, Augustus has just been the second person to interrupt your sleep, and he's handed you a book. With the heaviness threatening to shut your eyes, you flick through the first few pages. It's nice to be alone. 
every part of your body hurts, but you are at least safe. I kind of intrigued by the book, but figuring it can wait till the morning, I sort of place it on the stand next to the bed and go to sleep. You place ghost stories of antiquary beside your bed and your eyes drift shut when you are awoken for the third time to the sound of Lenny the dog. He jumps off the bed and begins growling and barking. He's currently looking under the bed. Oh, not you too, Lenny. What is it? Well, 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 well. Heave myself out of the bed, kind of wander over and see what he's doing. What's the problem, Lenny? Is it, have we got rats or something? I bend down to see what it is that seems to have in, captured his interest. As you bend down, you hear a voice coming from the bed itself. Can you check under the bed for monsters? What? I snap my head around to see where that voice could have been coming from. In your bed is a little boy, kind of scruffy hair, a, a small smile on his face. What? What did you say? Can you check under the bed for monsters? Where have you come from? What's going on? It's no monsters. It's no monsters under bed. What? What's happening? There, there might be monsters under the bed. Can you check for me, please? Yeah, okay, alright, okay, I'll check under bed. I bend down to take a look. As you bend down and look under the bed, to your surprise, there is another boy under the bed, identical to the one in the bed. He is covered in floods of tears with terror in his eyes. There's... there's something in my bed, he whispers to you. You said I recognised him. What What do I recognise? This is young Benny. I say, the, what? What? What's happening? The young Benny under the bed covers his face. Say, so, hey, hey, don't. Everything's all right. There's, there's no, there's no to be scared of. It's all right. Just don't, don't be upset. Come on, tell me, what's the problem? There's monster in the bed. It's, no, there's not a monster in bed. It's fine. It's no, honest, it's fine. And I'd lean up to see what if there's anything in the bed. If it's because I assume the boy must have been in the bed and somehow has got here. And so, is there anything in the bed now? I don't. I'm confused, and I and, and I and I lift my head up to look and see what, see if there's anything in the bed. As you lift your head up, you see young Benny in the bed. He is grinning widely, and as you lean back, you can see that there are two. Bennies, one under the bed and one in it. Can I have a dexterity saving throw, please? 18. The young Benny in the bed pulls a dagger out from under the covers and stabs at your eye, but you're able to move quickly back. What? Uh, what? What's going on? And I dart towards the door to try and see if I can get to the handle and just get out. You hear the footsteps of a young child running behind you as you reach the door with your hand on the handle. I try to heave the door open so I can slam it behind me before he can get to me. Give me a, another dexterity saving throw, please. 23. <laughs> you manage to get out of your room and slam the door behind you, and you hear a thud come from the other side, and then the small sound of a dagger being plunged into a door behind you. In the corridor outside is a thick, soupy mist. Where's Lenny? Did Lenny... Lenny made it out of the room with you. Come on, Lenny. There's something weird happening. But I don't know what. Uh, let's get off this ship. 
another voice begins to echo from the mist down the corridor. Benny, oh Benny, are you there, Penny Benny? Come out of the shadows and play. Do I recognize this voice? It is familiar to you as that of the governor of the orphanage where you grew up. Oh, shit. Shit, 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 shit. Lenny, we're getting off this ship and we're just getting out of here. I don't know what's going on, but we need to not be here. Stick to the shadows, stay with me, and we'll creep out. And I, yeah, I try to to sort of press myself against the wall, pulling Lenny along behind me, and just, yeah, just try to to find my way off to the... uh, What's the what's the boat word for exit? The ramp. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> Damn it. I didn't study boats again before this one. Uh, can I have an athletics or acrobatics check, please? 22 for acrobatics. It's nimbly you move through the soupy mist as the voice continues calling out to you. Penny Benny, Penny Benny, I know you're there. You manage to make it onto the deck of the Sterling. The mist is enveloping the entire area, and the voice is following you no matter how quickly or nimbly you move. But Lenny has remained alongside you the whole way. Can I have another athletics or acrobatic check, please? 20. Moving swiftly, you head over to the exit of the Sterling as a second voice comes in. You'd better leave him alone. You are his past. You don't recognize this voice. Can I tell where that voice is coming from? Yeah, it's coming from just in front of you. Who's that? Who's there? You don't recognize me, but you will. I decide I like this even less than I liked the the voice of the, the governor. So I turn away and stepping back towards the ship, I raise my voice and try to sound authoritative and say where are you you bastard I'm not a kid anymore I'm a grown up I'm a grown up with a knife so come and see what you can do but my hand is shaking that's holding the knife and there's a tremor in my voice that is probably fairly obvious you always were a gobby little shite you always were a nasty bit of work can I have a perception check at disadvantage please eleven As you're in a verbal sparring match with the voice in the mist, a metal square flies out of the thick soup. It is the face of an enormous hammer as it clunks you in the face. Agony ripples through you as you fall to the floor. Uh, Please take 15 damage. You can hear Lenny barking as the second voice. I told you, you would come to know who I am. Can I have another perception check at disadvantage, please? Six. Another 15 damage. I am down and out. As the hammer smashes into your face over and over again. There is a voice in the back of your head now. No, I will not die. Not here. You can feel the hammer moving towards you once again. Hear the whistling of it as the voice in the back of your head says, Yeah, that's more like it. You can feel your body rising in the air as a ribbon of blue energy bursts out from you. And everything, the mist, the hammer, the voices, all stop as your vision blacks out. Talk. the blue light of your eyes comes back on. 
you are stood in your workshop. Okay, so uh, look around the room. Is Plex there? Plex is there, but he is laying on the floor, seemingly unconscious. Okay, first things first. Tok will try and inspect Plex to see if he can revive him. It looks like there was a minor shorting uh, of some of the circuitry in his head. A very quick fix for someone like you, Tok, and you're able to get him back online. What happened, Tok? I'm certain there was a confusing event. We need to acquire more data. Initiate a search pattern. Find Vanda, and Tok is going to also leave the room. Oh, first, he's going to check and make sure Tick is still there. Tick is still there. He appears to be no more damaged than before. Okay, Tok will stone completely in the bag of holding and then proceed to go through the rest of the Sterling to try and find his compatriots. I think Benny's room is the closest one, so I'll go check on that first. You head up and along with Plex, and Plex moves beyond Benny and Augustus's rooms to go and find Vanda. You have reached Benny's room. Uh, Tock will open the door. It's no point knocking. Okay. You open the door. Uh, inside, laying on his bed, is Benny. Uh, he appears to be fitting, his body spasming violently. This does not appear to be a typical human sleep pattern. Tok will uh, try and render some aid. Um, High flow oxygen. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Do you mean open a window? <laughs> yeah, is, is the window open? <laughs> the window is not open. Daniel Sigmund. Tok will open the window because he has seen many do that. <laughs> God, that is incredible. Yeah, Tok's not really going to know what to do in terms of, does he look injured? Uh, he looks pale and sweaty, uh, but, and the injuries that he sustained in the tomb are still there, but mm. he doesn't look freshly injured. Tok will splash water on his face. Okay. Pulling out your water skin, Tok splashes water on him. Fine droplets of water splash everywhere, and it does nothing to stop the fit. While you're doing that, uh, Vanda, Plex has arrived, and you can hear a voice of Plex in your head. Vanda... Alert, Vanda, alert. And you suddenly awaken back in your comfortable chair in the dining area. Thanks. Vanda says, as smoothly as one can, who's just had an extraordinary out-of-body experience, where is the rest of the crew? Tok is in Benny's room. Augustus, whereabouts unknown. And Tok is alive? Yes, Vanda. I need you to search for Augustus. Yes, Fanda. Very good, then. And Plex turns around and heads back towards the <laughs> Benny and Augustus room area, just down the corridor from where you are. Fanda doesn't get up straight away. He takes uh, a, a kind of a, a drag on the now relit cheroot that he was finishing before, stubs that out, and then begins to get wearily out of his chair. He notes that his cane is actually where he left it, not where it ended up. Uh, when he was in having his out-of-body experience. Augustus, you feel safe and comfortable, and a voice begins to call out to you. Augie, wake up. Augie, you must wake up. Time to wake up. Augie, will you wake up? Wake up! You suddenly awaken with Plex leaning over you, shaking you by the shoulders. Augustus, awaken, alert. 
Augustus, Augustus. Oh, Plex, what, what's happening? Vanda sent me to check on your well-being. Are you well? Uh, I I think so. And Augustus sort of pats himself down, obviously trying to, you know, make sure that his firstly that his fine clothes haven't been incinerated, and secondly that he hasn't been stung through the middle by a giant bee. The hell of a hangover, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we we all perform those checks when we wake up on a Sunday morning. Those are the standard checks. Sorry, <laughs> you can hear a commotion coming from across the hallway, and uh, you can probably also smell the uh, horrendous ammoniary smell of smelling salts. Oh God, why did we not disarm Tok? Augustus, <laughs> Augustus wearily says, "I better help Tok." Goes over to the talk-related ammonia situation. Uh, you enter Benny's room. Um, it's quite warm in there. You don't remember anywhere on the ship being so warm, especially not in torrential downpour. And you can see Tok stood over Benny, who is fitting, and Tok is splashing him with a combination of water from his water skin and ammonia from a glass vial. Augustus is going to say, Tok, give him, give him some space, and then he will. Augustus will open the window. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's already open. It's already open. It's open already, and we'll move or move anything away from Benny because if someone's having a fit, you need to make sure that they can do that as safely as possible. And then, does Augustus have anything? He's got like lay on hands, for example. Is there any of his medical tool bag that might be able to help Benny in this circumstance? You can certainly either give me a medicine check, or you can attempt to lay on hands. Uh, you notice that there is a trickle of blood pouring from Benny's nose, left nostril now. Augustus. Benny appears to be malfunctioning. Can you assist? I can certainly try, Tok. Don't worry, he should be fine. And so Augustus will lay on hands. As you lay your hands on your fitting shipmate, I was going to say friend, not sure we're there yet. Yeah, let's not chuck the word friend around like no, they're like it's free. <laughs> um, the moment that your hands hit his skin, you feel an electric charge and you are blown across the room, smashing into the wall opposite. <laughs> What a day. Vanda, Plex has arrived just as you hear the loud clattering of that. Vanda, Augustus is well. He sounds it. Vanda says, collecting his cane and making his way towards the sound of the massive crash. You arrive to find Augustus kind of slumped against a wall right next to the door. And Tok stood by the window, still splashing water and ammonia onto Benny. You notice that there are blue sparks of energy um, that are appearing around his fingertips and around his head. I, okay, I'm going to deal with the blue sparks of energy, but I'm first going to... Are we all right down there, Augustus? Says Vanda sweetly. Yes, I, I'm I'm wonderful. Thank you, Vanda. Good. Vanda refuses not to take that any further and turns back to the <laughs> blue spark problem, <laughs> which is one of many we face in the room. I'm going to, I would like to invest, I think I may have an idea of what this is. I need to, I want to investigate the sparks and see if I've got an idea as to what they may be. Uh, yeah, you can give me uh, an investigation check or an arcana check. Oh, well, arcana seems like the shout. I think Tok's going to have to guide him as well. 17 then with the obligatory one from Tok and his guidance. You do recognise what is happening from your past. You recognise you've seen this before. Tok, you while you're trying to help, obviously explaining that this is some form of arcane thing, you've never actually seen this specific event, whatever it is happening. This is new to you. 
Shock will turn to Vanda and take out um, something Vanda has seen before, which is the uh, healing potion that was used in the cave, um, and said, uh, Benny appears to be malfunctioning. Is he damaged? Vanda's taken a real interest in Benny. I rather think not, you know. What's Benny's, Benny's condition now? Still kind of thrashing around, but he seems to be kind of calming a little bit, but the, the blue crackles of energy are getting more pronounced. Vanda gestures to put the ammonia away. We can stop, appreciate pissy fingers, loves a bit of that, but we can probably dispense with more. Doc complies. Planks, help Augustus to his feet, please. I think he of everyone is most in need of medical attention. Yes, Vanda. And Plex bends down to pull Augustus to his feet. Are you well, Augustus? Can I provide medical attention? I think I may need a trained psychologist at this point. Oh, just uh, some space for now. Thank you, my, my friend. Yes, Augustus. Vanda has placed both hands on his cane for support. He tends now to watch Benny. Wants to see, monitor his recovery, as it were. Tock will uh, attempt to um, uh, provide medical attention to Benny, unless Vander's going to stop him. Vander is going to not stop you, but he's going to gesture to stop you. No, he'll he'll take the lead from Vander and and not provide medical attention. And then Vander, under his breath, is going to say, Come on, Benny. The blue crackling of energy intensifies. It's now spreading up Benny's arms and across his face. Before reaching down to his abdomen. Vanda, the malfunction appears to be worsening. Vanda's attention is entirely taken up by Benny. And again, Vanda says, Yes. Augustus is sort of looking from Vanda to Benny. Obviously, the first thought is that Vanda's somehow on Benny's side here and that somehow Vanda's seeing a good thing happening. Give me an insight check. Okay. Nine. There doesn't appear to be any malice. From Vander to Benny, he genuinely seems interested and unconcerned. But Vander is a difficult person to read, obviously. Yeah, Augustus is definitely worried that Vander's sort of enjoying some sort of weird, interesting spectacle here and forgetting to be worried about what it might be doing to Benny. So uh, he says, Vander, what's happening? Something you're only likely to see once. The death of a friend? Oh, we dropped the F word. That's awkward. No, well, it's unconscious. Vanda smiles. Vanda's genuine, very interested in this. Turns sharply to Augustus. Not the death of a friend. I would describe this more as the rebirth of a friend, if I'm correct. And if you're wrong? Excruciating pain followed by an agonizing death. But who's to tell? Augustus takes a deep breath, but doesn't let it out. He doesn't know what to do. He is... He's basically, his hand has been stayed by what Vander's doing and he is just looking to Vander's lead because Augustus doesn't understand what's happening and it it appears that Vander does. Vander, I could attempt to absorb the electrical energy that is surrounding Benny. You assume that the electrical energy isn't coming from Benny himself. Going to try something technical for this has gone on long enough. Vander takes a step forward. I'm going to just slap him with my cane. Wake up, Benny! (laughs) You strike Benny with your glass cane as the blue crackling energy now completely jumps, skips all over his body. It builds up and you can hear this crackling in the background 
There is a beat of silence and then an explosive ribbon of blue energy fires out in all directions. Augustus and Toc, you feel the force kind of pushing you back and you begin to sway back. You're able to stay on your feet just. Vanda appears to be completely unaffected by it. Uh, he kind of leans in to look at Benny. As the energy dissipates, Benny stops fitting. The cane comes out more softly this time. A prod. Benny, you open your eyes. You can feel that your body is covered in sweat. Your head is pounding. Every part of you aches. And as you open your eyes, you can see the half-smiling face of Vander Finnick leaning over you. And behind him, Toc and Augustus looking worried. What a sight to wake up to. What What is going on? A very good question, Benny. Vander's horribly close, and his face is smiling in a way that shows up scars you didn't even know he had. It's really quite terrifying. Benny, you appear to have recovered from a malfunction. What? A what now? A malfunction of sorts. I need to ask just one question to be sure, though. Can you move your face a little bit further away from mine before you continue with your questions? Please, Vander. I do not feel I do not feel well and this is not helping. Yes, yes, certainly, Sen. Vander's slightly distracted and probably some spittle, I'm afraid, Benny, will have reached you as he moves away and turns to the rest of the group. Augustus and Talk, would I be right in getting that you had an outer body experience this evening? Yes, I would call it that. I think I must have done. What happened? Not sure I'm ready to talk about it, old boy. Quite right. And talk? I had an experience. It was within the body. It was without the airship. Terrifying, was it? You were all slain, and yet you are now not slain. I have no explanation. That rather fits the bill. Oh, Benny... As Vanda turns back, just dripping with some kind of awful glee. You have an explanation for talk, Vanda, and for all of us. I do indeed. Oh, Benny, you have just become one of the most valuable friends to me and a valuable member of this crew. Hang on, what? I'd like to go back to just become a valuable member of the ship. What's, what's that supposed to mean? What are you on about, Vander? Indeed, Benny has been useful several times previously. Sure, certainly, semantics, who cares? Who's to say? Benny, you are now genuinely useful. And can you tell us what you're banging on about or piss off out of my room? I'm afraid I can't piss off Benny because you tonight have demonstrated something extraordinary. You! are maybe the last Rojan. Ridiculous. What are, you to- what are you on about? It's middle at night, Vander, and your stupid jokes. It's not the time. Got a pounding headache. I had horrible nightmares, and I do not need you messing about. It's not your nightmares, Benny. You gave others nightmares tonight. You didn't just ruin your own evening for once. You ruined other people's evenings. This is maybe the best thing that's ever happened aboard the Sterling. 
So, Bandit, to try and unpack some of the endless stream of riddles in which you appear to uh, obsessed with speaking, you think that somehow the visions or whatever it was we experienced were imposed on us by Benny somehow, and that this is evidence that he t- he is not only a Rojan, but the last Rojan. Can you see why we're struggling to understand your logic? I see very often why you all struggle. But luckily, your friend Vander is here to make things clear to you. This, my friends, is what we call a reckoning. What that means, a future Rojan experiences, well, what we saw this evening. They faint. They experience terrible, ghoulish nightmares, as do the people near to them. Each of us, I suspect, has seen something appalling from their past, something that they never wished or wanted to see. This is all a manifestation, if you will, a manifestation of raw power. The power of a Rojan. Benny is such an entity, though who would have thought it would come from such a background? I can't tell if you're slagging me off or... What happened to him then? Stick with me, Benny, and I'll make you great. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's um, stick with me, stick with me, Benny. I've heard that one before. How about this? Go your own way, Benny, and burst. Without my guidance, your powers will consume you, and your death will be appalling, though amusing to those who witness it, I'm sure. But needn't fear, because I will help you. How can I persuade you that this is a good thing for us? I think you're going to struggle, Vander, if your best-selling pitch is let me let me, Van der Finnick, be more in charge of your life than I have been before. <laughs> I don't see that happening, I'm afraid. Benny, yeah. Vander was Rojan. He would have knowledge of these things. That, well, yeah, that might be true. That might be true. Nonetheless, don't think I'll be uh, submitting to his whims anytime soon. Quite right, Benny. Your views are suddenly relevant, and I respect them. If you respect my views, it has been a long and rough night, and I would kindly ask you to get out of my cabin, and we'll talk about this further in the morning. Everyone out! Benny needs his beauty sleep. In the short term, Vander, if I go to sleep across the hall from Benny, am I going to be murdered in my sleep once again by a giant bumblebee? A what now? <laughs> <laughs> you see, Benny, true power! I should have thought, Benny, if you could impose that vision upon me, that you must have had that in your mind somewhere. I dread to think what else is in there. I have never thought about you and a giant bumblebee. Well, now you have, Benny. You see, he doesn't understand his powers yet, Benny's tired and out of sorts. One question, though, Benny, before we let you have as much sleep as you need. What? Benny is not necessarily the name of a Rochan. I wonder if we might persuade you to consider something more tasteful, Vander says. How about Kenny? May I, Vander, direct you to my previous response? Piss off out of my cabin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that really that, is it. That's the whole response. <laughs> quite right, quite right. Talk, stop fussing. <laughs> All of us, we must go. Benny, get your beauty sleep. The rest of us, I'm afraid, will have to prepare for ghoulish nightmares until Benny accepts training. Uh, Augustus 
picks up his tent and trudges into the sodden woods. <laughs> he is going away from Benny. And with Lenny curling up on Benny's bed and everyone else leaving him the fuck alone, we will end it there. And so, we embark on this journey through the enigmatic world of fear, where the incredible meets the mundane, where the darkest corners of our collected psyche are illuminated. Ghost stories of antiquity will traverse the boundaries of reality and imagination, and where fear itself is the greatest specter of all. A.S. Sycamore understands fear better than most, and I hope this foreword serves as your threshold into a realm where phantoms and shadows intertwine with the very fabric of our being. Signed, Lucian Winter. Can we can we circle back to your impressions of us at some point as well? How do I do? How do I do? Seamless. Fred, I had the camera off, so I, I I just thought everyone was speaking their own lines there, and now it's a bit weird when it was me. <laughs> I, I, I tried not to go too heavy on the northern. I thought your vandal was excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Backhanded praise, right there. A very special thank you to Richard Godham, who provided the voice of the narrator for this episode. If you'd like to know more, please check out his website, www.richardgodhamvoiceactor.com. We are honoured and privileged to have someone of his calibre performing on this podcast. Thank you very much, Mr. Godham. Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting Dice Company on Patreon, where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to a whole other show, Extra Roll as well as an ad-free listening experience. The Dice Company Discord server, along with our socials, can be found on our link tree in the show notes. If you enjoyed this chapter, please like and subscribe, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. If you didn't like it, recommend us to your enemies. And we'll see you next time on Dice Company. Dice Company.